pray that it ministers at least to one person here. And so Proverbs 12, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Has anybody ever lied here before? By show of hands. I think we can do this as a public opinion. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, that was your first lie that you're aware of. Let me tell you a story. A minister one Sunday morning said to his congregation, Next week I plan to preach about the sin of lying. In preparation for that message, I'm asking all of you to read Mark chapter 17 this coming week. The following Sunday, as he stood up to preach, he asked this congregation, How many of you took the time to read Mark chapter 17 this past week? Nearly every hand went up, showing that they had done what the pastor had said. (laughs) The minister smiled and said, that's very good. However, Mark has only 16 chapters. (laughs) I will now proceed with my message on the sin of lying. Aren't you glad I didn't do that to you guys? I thought about it. Lying has become all too common of a practice among the church today. It has become something that has become acceptable in certain situations, and after time, the line is drawn for what is acceptable and is continually moved more and more in the wrong direction. And before we know it, we are consumed in our own web of lies. Lying is not only a sin... But lying is the opposite of Christ and his nature. As Christians, we should strive to speak the truth in all circumstances, no matter how difficult it may be. So let's look at our text this evening. One verse, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. This evening, I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, The Big Truth About Small Lies. Let's pray. Father God, help us tonight. God, let your spirit, God, minister clearly, God, to each of us tonight. God, the message that you have for each individual, Father, let them hear it loud and clear, Father, that you would break down walls and barriers, God, of our hearts and minds, and minister to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, I want to speak about The outward effect of our lies. Our lies, of course, hurt our relationships. And one of the most common forms of lying in a relationship that you may not think of is called commonly people-pleasing. Sometimes people-pleasing is a lie to other people that you are loving and caring, but really you're just too afraid to say no. Oftentimes, people-pleasing is a lie to yourself, that you are obligated to people in certain ways to make them happy, but you really aren't. A lot of the time, it's both. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying we shouldn't make efforts to make people happy and be pleasing to those around us, but when making other people happy comes at the cost of our well-being and our relationship with Christ, and even at the cost of their well-being and their relationship with Christ, we are only hurting ourselves and others, which results in the pain of lies deteriorating our lives. Galatians 1 verse 10 says, For I am now, or sorry, For am I now seeking the approval of man 
or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant to Christ. So what is more important to us? The momentary satisfaction in us or to those around us, which is usually only momentary, or our servitude to Christ. You see, truth be told, sometimes saying no to people is exactly what they need to hear. Other times people are in a position where they need help, but we lie to ourselves that it has to be us. But truly, when we do this, it's irresponsible. Christians are called to serve, absolutely. Jesus Christ came in the form of a servant to mankind. But when the priority is to serve people, uh, to serve people rules over what God calls us to do, then it is a lie that we tell ourselves that we are serving at all. You see, Jesus, by example, shows us the difference between serving and people-pleasing. We see this in John chapter 6, which I I won't read the whole text because for the sake of time, uh, but what takes place in John chapter 6 is actually, in my opinion, one of the most profound miracles in the ministry of Christ. And so we see in this story a crowd of people come to Christ. Uh, The Bible says 5,000 men and their families And Jesus looks at the crowd coming towards them, and he tells Philip, he says, where are we to buy food for this many people? And Philip's like, are you kidding me? We don't have nearly enough money, even if there was enough bread to buy for these people. And so as the story goes on, as we know, there was a boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish, and he says, well, I got this. What can you do with this, Jesus? And and so Jesus says, perfect, a little bit of faith and a little bit of food. I can work with that. And so he takes the bread, he takes the fish, and he breaks them apart. And the story goes on to where they distribute the food to the 5,000 men and their family, and everyone has taken their fill and there's leftovers. And the Bible says they had enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets of food afterwards. Now that is miraculous, if I've ever seen a miracle. God provided a feast. And he did this out of service to the people. Why was it out of service to the people? It wasn't simply because they were hungry, but it also was the Passover If you don't know, on the Passover, they traditionally had a feast. So he was helping serve this people to take part in a religious ritual in which was still being practiced at that time. And it's worth noting that Jesus saw the need. The need wasn't brought to him. The people didn't say, hey, Jesus, it's the Passover. We have no food. What are we going to do? Jesus saw the need and he served the people. Now, this is service. This is serving people in their needs out of the grace and love of Jesus Christ himself. But the next day, something interesting happens. It is the same crowd that Jesus had fed the day before, and they uh, are going to look for him again. And we find, uh, we pick up in John chapter 6, verse 22 through 31. I will read this text. It says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. You filled your tummy. 
Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, uh, give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Again, they're bringing food up again. You see, the first portion of our text, uh, the, the part that I summarized, Jesus sees a need. No one asks him to fill this need, but out of service and love to these people, he fills the need in miraculous fashion. The next day, it's the same people who come to Jesus. And instead of coming for his teachings, which is what they came for originally, and they didn't come for his wisdom, but they came because they wanted another free lunch. They saw what they... Uh, Jesus saw what they were truly after. And in this moment, he could have appeased them and solved their problem by being a people pleaser and saying, yeah, you like that? There's more where that came from. Let me just feed you again. But instead of people pleasing this crowd, he told them the truth about their situation. He dealt with a greater and more dire need within them, and it was the need for salvation. He showed them what they truly needed. Y'all have that friend, right? They ask for help one time, and then all of a sudden you're, you're an ATM, right? But Jesus saw this mentality. He saw what was taking place, and he said, no, 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 no. Listen, I'm not here for a free meal. I'm here for eternal life. I need to share with you what you truly need. Now, you might be thinking to yourself by now, if you're remembering what started this sermon, Pastor, what does this have to do with lying? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because people-pleasing is a lifestyle of a lying mentality. Helping, in our eyes, or at least convincing others that it is that, helping people when they actually need the truth poured into their lives is effectively a lie. You're not giving them the truth. You're withholding the truth from them. People-pleasing results in us trying to be God for people when we should be pointing them to God. Now, of course, us being God is a lie, no doubt. And people-pleasing ultimately leads to a lifestyle of lying to people to make them feel good about who they are and who we are. When the reality is, the truth should be told, even in the event of letting people down in their eyes. And people-pleasing can result in us living in a sinful lifestyle to make others around us accept us for someone who we truly are not. See, the truth about people-pleasing is that we act like it's a selfless thing. But the reality is it's selfish because we think that it is what's going to be best for us and because we are afraid to let people down. And so we don't feel bad or guilty, and so we are accepted by the people around us. But any form of lying will always lead to a lack of trust. You see, 
the real issue that I'd like to expose is that there's no such thing as a small lie or an innocent lie or what they might call a little white lie or a necessary lie. All lies are damaging, even when it comes to details in our storytelling, right? It's the, the old fisherman tale, right? You, you go out and you experience something and you're telling the story to somebody and, and you can tell by the look on their face the story is not as good as you thought it was. And so suddenly, oh, did I say he, this, no, this happened and then somebody else came in and, and, and got to make the story better. The fish, did I say it was this big? It's, it was this big, right? Details in storytelling is seemingly innocent as it is will damage your relationships with people around you. On top of that, if we feel the need to conflate situations, and sometimes it's, it's woe is me, right? I'm going through this, I'm struggling through that. And to make sure I get the sympathy, I'm going to make sure to emphasize certain details or, or dramatize certain details. Or, or uh, you know, I went through this and it was really exciting. God helped me in this way and... To make me seem more holy and righteous, it was, I prayed for six people that day, right? And six people actually said no. You see, when we conflate details in storytelling, you're effectively telling God that your life that he gave you isn't exciting enough. Or worse, that your testimony of life isn't exciting enough. Or what you're going through isn't dramatic enough to get the love and care of the people around you. Colossians 3.9 tells us, do not let one another, sorry, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You see, here's something that I hope all of you are aware of, and if not, listen to this, because it's a truth. People notice when you lie. But most of the time, they don't say anything. You all know what I'm talking about because you've been on the other side of it, right? Somebody tells a story, they give a detail, and you're like, I happen to know for a fact that's not true. People notice, and not only do they notice, they remember. Again, we probably all have at least one or two people in our, in our lives where when they're telling a story, you know you probably should not quote the story for verbatim because it probably did not happen even remotely close to the way that story went down. Colossians 3.9 says, do not lie, because it is a part of your old self. So if we are lying, why should people around us believe that the rest of our old ways are behind us? Not to mention the pain that it can cause people around us that we care about when they catch us in this lies. Listen, whether they admit that they caught you or not, it hurts one another, and it gets to the point to where people will, even in innocent stories, they'll question you in serious situations. But even then, lying in important situations, whether we may do it to dodge conflict, right? Somebody comes to you, hey, so this is this true? And you're like, well, if I tell the truth, they're going to be mad. And if I don't tell the truth, they'll go, oh, okay, and they'll leave. <laughs> or whatever. Again, I'm guessing 
Every single one of us have been through a situation like that. We'll lie to get at officer. Uh, I had no idea I was going 15 over. <laughs> yes, you did. You had it on cruise control. <laughs> you see, so often in life, it's become acceptable, and we will do it too to lie to avoid the consequences of our own actions. But the truth is, even if we successfully mask our lies and the other person never finds out, God still knows. I tell my kids this all the time. Listen to me. When I catch you in a lie, you're in a heap of trouble. But when I don't catch you in a lie, you better believe God still knows that you did it. You can't hide it from him. And we see this illustrated in the story of David and Bathsheba. If you read the story, of course, many of you know David uh, being a married man, the king of Israel. He sees Bathsheba and he lusts after her. She's a married woman. This is not a good story. It's like straight out of a soap opera, like a gory one, I guess. And, and he sees her and he's like, I want that woman. And so they bring him to her. He's the king. He can, you know, he's the king. So like, they kind of can do whatever they want, I guess. And, and so he sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. And he's like, well, dang, that's not good. And so what he does is he tries to bring her husband home off the battlefield. He's a soldier in the battlefield for a, for, for a reprieve, right? And he says, okay, now go home, spend the night with your wife, and go out and join your comrades. And, and uh, the, he, of course, Uriah being a, a honorable Hittite, I think is what the Bible says about him, says, no, 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 while my brothers are on the battlefield, I will not take rest in my own quarters. And David's like, no, that's, what I, that's why I brought you here. And so uh, as the story goes on, David arranges for Uriah's death on the battlefield. And so he's first to committed adultery, got a married woman pregnant. And now he has murdered her husband. And what he does is he says, since your husband has died on the battlefield to honor him, I will take you into my household to care for you. And he, does, he actually kind of makes himself look like a really honorable dude through all of this. And, uh, but what he does, ultimately, is he covers his tracks. Nobody knows except for him and Bathsheba. Not a soul knows about what took place. And he thinks to himself, I've covered it up. I've covered my tracks. Nobody knows. I'm in the clear. I highly doubt he wasn't dealing with an overwhelming amount of guilt. But nonetheless, he thought... He covered it up, but then he learns something about the nature of God. He learns that you cannot hide anything from God. As the story goes on, the prophet Nathaniel comes and he tells him a story, uh, a parabolic story, about a man who steals another man's sheep and slaughters it for a, for a meal for his friend. But this poor man, it was his, his sheep was like his pet, and it was this sad story about this man's pet sheep being stolen from him and killed and and. And he asks David, he said, what should be done to that man? And David said, this is unacceptable behavior and he should be punished severely. And then Nathaniel says, you are that man. And then he re repeats back to him by prophecy of God what David had done. And in this moment, David realized, even though I've effectively deceived all of Israel, I have not deceived God. And so in this moment, David realizes it's time to repent. And so we see uh, David repent of his sins. We see God, full of grace and mercy, forgive him of his sins and restore him. You see, we may feel like we're pretty good at this. 
but God sees it. And like David, maybe you didn't understand this, but it's a reality. And later on in Psalms, we see one, uh, Psalm 139 verse 4, which says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. This is the reality, whether it's truth or lies, hate or love. The words of our mouth, even the thoughts of our mind, the Lord knows it before we even do. So maybe we get away with a little lie here and there in the world. But the one person we should be most worried about offending is God himself. And rest assured, he knows the truth. But then there's the inward effect of our lives. This was the outward effect, the way it affects ourselves uh, publicly and our relationships. But it also can damage our identity even to ourselves. You see, people don't know who we are other than a liar if you've been caught in even a couple lies. As I said before, when someone catches you in a lie, whether they uh, uh, called you out or not, they now know that your word cannot always be trusted. It can hurt our testimony. It can hurt our credibility. When we create a reputation for ourselves as a liar, people no longer know who we really are. It also hurts our testimony, and people won't believe what we say. Think about this. Even little details. As I said, even in storytelling, you, you conflate details, and somebody's like, dude, I was actually there, like right next to you, and you're not even telling it right. And then now you're trying to witness, you're trying to share the love of Jesus Christ with that very person. You're trying to encourage them through your testimony. They're saying, if I can't believe what you said before, why should I believe this now? For me personally, if I'm known as a liar down there, then why would you believe what I say behind the pulpit? What we say has no credibility. This is why it's so crucial and so important as individuals to be as truthful as we possibly can. I, you guys will hear me all the time say, I'm not 100% sure, but this is what I think, right? You guys, I say it a lot because the last thing I want us to do is accidentally say something as fact and be proven wrong, right? Because even those small details, they matter to some people, to most people. Augustine, St. Augustine said this about lying. He says, when we regard for truth... I'm sorry, when regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. You see, when people realize that we're willing to lie, they will question everything we say, even when it is the truth. The same thing can be said for us in our daily lives when we live out our testimony in front of the world. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That it may give grace to those who hear. See, the corrupt talk, the lies that leave our mouth, no matter how small or innocent in our minds we may think they might be, will detract from our positive and constructive words that we share with the same people who heard our lies. And over time, if this becomes a habit, we begin to question who we really are. As we lie about small things, our issues begin to grow and get much larger than our lies, uh, than our lies until eventually we don't even know what we believe 
or what we stand for. I think this is something that is common in in what you would call a false preacher. I think many people who claim the name of Christian that are false teachers didn't start off that way. I think at some point or another, they began to speak a little lie because it benefited them or it benefited the church or it, it benefited, it made the people's ears tingle and more people would come until time goes on. They're pe- preaching this false gospel that's sending people to hell and they don't even know how they got there. I've heard preachers like this in interviews even say, I have the blood of thousands of souls on my hands because they've realized what they've done. Over time, we end up believing our own lies about our sin and our faith and what's acceptable and what's not. You see, these small lies ultimately can and will grow into larger issues until they begin to affect our salvation. Say a little lie. I'm not saying if you say a little lie, you're going to go to hell. But lies, both big and small, can and will have a snowball effect in our lives. You all know what the snowball effect is? It's like you go to the top of, let's say, Badger Mountain. We're all familiar with Badger Mountain. It's the biggest hill in the Tri-Cities, I think. If it's not, I don't care. (laughs) I think. See, I said I think. Take a snowball at the top of the, you know, size of a baseball. And you give that thing a nice roll down the hill, and by the time it gets to the bottom of the hill, it's this big. The snowball effect. It's rolling, it's rolling. You guys know how to build a snowman, right? It collects snow as it rolls. And so these small lies that we tell, if we do not stop them in their tracks, go bigger and bigger and bigger until they're big enough to cause some very serious damage. Austin O'Malley puts it this way. He says, a lie has no legs, kind of like a snake. A lie has no legs. It requires other lies to support it. Tell one lie and you are forced to tell others to back it up. Sounds like politics. Stretching the truth won't make it last any longer. Those that think it is permissible to tell white lies soon grow colorblind. You see, we cover up one lie with another and then with another Until before we know it, we're wrapped up in our lies. We don't remember what we've told, who we've told, why we told it. Until eventually we don't even remember what's true because we have become so accustomed to our falsehoods. Abraham Lincoln says this, No man has good enough memory to make a successful liar. Trying to keep up with our own web of lies is a lot of work. The truth is, there is no small lies. They are all big to God, and they're all a danger to us and to those around us. And no matter how innocent we may look at them as, they are all sin. Here's what Jesus says about lies in John chapter 8, verse 44, straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. He says, you, speaking to the Pharisees, are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies." 
That's a powerful statement. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, and he is the father of lies. Jesus is saying that lying is the character of the devil, and the devil is the father of lies. Not just big lies, not just damaging lies, not just lies that get noticed by other people, but lies. One word. That implies all lies. All of them. As Christians, we simply cannot live a lifestyle of lying. It's not conducive to our salvation. Revelations 22 verse 15 says, Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Outside, as the scripture says, outside of what? Well, this passage is speaking of those who live a lifestyle contrary to the nature of Jesus. People who are left outside of heaven in eternity. And he speaks of some things that we go, well, yeah, of course that's not good, right? The, the dogs, if you don't know, that's, that's Bible time slang for, for prostitutes. Dogs, sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters. We're like, yeah, we can get with that. And everyone who practices falsehood. Now, it's important to note, this isn't like slipped up and lied and repented and, and, and whoops, I shouldn't have done that, forgive me. But this is a practice. What is practice? It's something you do frequently. It's not like going to practice once a week for your YMCA basketball team. This is like practicing law, right? A lawyer goes to school to become a lawyer. They pass a test to become a lawyer, and it's what they do for the rest of their lives. So to practice sin is to make it a lifestyle. Make it something that is regular practice, something you do frequently. And so if the devil is opposite of Christ, as we know, and the devil is the father of lies, that makes God, of course, the father of truth. Proverbs 12, 22, again, our text says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Our text tells us lying uh, is an abomination to the Lord. It's not just a sin, but it is the opposite of who God is, which, of course, makes it the opposite of God's nature. Ultimately, for you and I, the reality is this. There is great and tremendous value in the truth. The truth always is of God. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. Your word being the word of God, which is truth. John 16, 13, Jesus again says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, calls him the Spirit of truth. And then Jesus, again, John 14, 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we are not abiding in truth, we are not abiding in the way, which is Jesus Christ. 
See, sometimes the truth hurts. Right? You can't handle the truth. You ever heard that before? Sometimes the truth hurts. But the truth brings freedom. Sometimes the truth will complicate our situation. And the devil will weave his lies and try to convince you to lie instead. But even when we find ourselves with our backs up against the wall, Jesus calls on us to tell the truth. And we know that God will not abandon his children. Living in truth is living in God. Even when the truth can cause us earthly discomfort for us and or those around us, it will always, listen to me, always bring eternal gain. The truth does not have any loose ends, but lies do. Now, it's worth making the disclaimer that just because someone asks you a question does not mean you have to answer it. This comes down to the difference between lying and telling the truth and gossiping, right? Hey, what's going on with so-and-so? Well, if you know exactly what's going on with so-and-so, but you answer that question, you're gossiping, then you just simply say, sorry, that's personal, pray for them, right? That's the truth. The truth is not necessarily what's going on in their life, but that's personal information that I can't share with you. Pray for them. See, there's the truth right there. The truth to the, the answer to the question would be gossiping, right? And so I'm making this disclaimer simply because I don't want you guys to go like, next time somebody asks you a question like that, I'd be like, oh, pastor said to always tell the truth. Well, the answer to the question is not always truth. That sounds really dumb, but <laughs> don't quote only that, okay? <laughs> when someone's asking about people, personal things. The answer to the question is not always truth. Sometimes the answer to the question can be gossiping or, or degrading or damaging, but rather the answer, the truth to that question is none of your business. Pray for them. So that disclaimer is worth being made, even though it may have been unclear. But the Bible calls on us as Christians to live truthfully. But it never says that the truth will make things go smoothly. In fact, at times, it might cause our lives to be more tumultuous. In fact, Jesus had a reputation for speaking the truth, even to people who certainly did not want to hear it. And he was hung on a cross. Sometimes the truth will make our lives challenging. But 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Truth is of God. Truth is freeing because Jesus Christ himself is truth. Every lie that's spoken is contrary to the truth of Jesus, and every lie is a step away from him. Remember, I just shared John 14, 6, iconic verse, the words of Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But just a few verses before this, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is speaking of going to the Father, and he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that 
where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is truth. We can hang our hats on the fact that what I just read is in fact the truth. That Jesus is the only way to heaven. That we should not let our hearts be troubled in times of trial because Jesus says, I will come back for you. I'm preparing a home in eternity for you. Jesus died for the truth so that we might have the truth of the gospel and have hope for eternity. Jesus told the truth in the face of his own persecution. Jesus knew sometimes when he had to say what he had to say. It was not a matter of if he thought it would be accepted or well-received. It was a matter of what is the reality of the situation. You see, sometimes we need to share the truth with a brother or a sister. And we feel like it's probably not going to go well. Sometimes it does go well anyway, by the grace of God. Other times, perhaps not. But Jesus told the truth in the face of persecution. Jesus died for the truth so that we could have his truth and his grace at work in our lives. Here's the reality that we face. Life and death, truth and lies. John 10, verses 10 through 11, Jesus says, The thief being the devil. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. For I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down his life for us. Now we must lay down our lives for the truth of Jesus Christ, that is the gospel, that our mouth is speaking in honesty so that when we witness to lost souls, they can say, you know what, I've never known that man. I've never known that woman to tell a lie. There must be something to what they're saying. I've always been able to trust so-and-so and such-and-such. Maybe this gospel is for real. First Thessalonians 2 verse 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We must speak the truth to please God. Because he knows our hearts and he has entrusted us to speak the truth of the gospel to the world. And someone who has truth on their mouth can be trusted when they have the truth of the gospel on their mouth. To a lost world wrapped in their sin, deceived by lies time and time again, they can finally find something that they can trust. Believers who speak the word of God with truth and honor before our King. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.